another episode of Inside the Recording Studio. I am Jody Whitesides, and with me as always is Mr. Chris Hellstrom. How are you today, Chris? I'm doing great, Jody. How about yourself? I'm doing all right myself. Very cool. Yes. Good. What are we talking about today? Drums. But drums. specifically drum programming versus real drummers. Yeah. So hopefully we're going to be able to... Uh, give at least some food for thought here, right? And see how, what might be appropriate for people's projects. Nom, 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 nom. Are you eating at the moment? Or? No. No. I'm okay. using your food for thought. Oh. Feeding I, myself. That, that was a little bit far-fetched, but okay, I'm with you now. All right. Well, I'm going to steer us back on track here. All right. So you're working on a project. Mm -hmm. What are your considerations with going real-life drummer or programming your own stuff? What's your first thing that kind of comes to mind? Style of music. Yeah. Right That's off the bat, style one. of music. Right. Explain yourself. What? <laughs> well, generally speaking, if I'm going to be working on an EDM track or some sort of like dubstep or something of that nature, I'm not likely to be using live drums. Mm, yeah. That's just sure. a given right there. However, right. if I'm going to be playing some sort of like 70s era funk soul kind of stuff. You damn right I'm going after a real drummer. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, that's it's what very I mean by that. No, it's very style dependent and there are maybe some blurred lines in there. Obviously, you know, you're talking about a country track or jazz thing or or certainly like a rock thing and you're putting the, words in my mouth. I said none of those three, but I I know. So I did that. But, but you know, but you're onto something there as well, though. So say that if you're going to perhaps like a modern soul track, mm -hmm. I think there's some flexibility there because do we want it to be more of a throwback thing? And you can certainly have that real drummer feel, right? Or yep. are you going for something more contemporary, perhaps more of a modern static sound, perhaps programmed part? might be more appropriate. But we have to consider that obviously style, musical style, what do we, what's appropriate? What do we want to get out of it? Yep. Other things to consider, and I think this is a little bit of a, of a cop-out if we don't, but do we have access to a drummer that can actually <laughs> Make do it? Make it sound like they're locked up in a room or something. Yeah. But do you have the key that, to let them out of their cage? Yeah, it's called the interwebs, right? Uh -huh. In all seriousness, it, Let's say that you're perhaps living in a smaller town and- You mean like I am right now? Like you are right now, yeah. But you actually know a lot of drummers, so that's less of a problem <laughs> for you. That's, yes. kind of, that, that's the kind of point that I'm trying to make though. But if you're starting out your music career and you don't really know any drummers, I would say 20, 30 years ago, that would have been a very valid thing, right? You don't have an option, but sure. there are so many players and session musicians out there today that do remote work. I don't think that's necessarily an excuse anymore. Now, it could be a matter of budget because they don't generally do this out of the goodness of their hearts as much as they love doing it, right? It, it is <laughs> a job. it depends on the person that you know. Yes. This is true. So, but I'm saying that if you don't know anybody, mm -hmm. you know, there are players out there that can provide those services for you. And there's also could, a variety of services that you can go to find those kind of players too. Definitely. When they say the world has shrunk, right, with the internet, it goes without saying, right? But you can find people to do this kind of stuff for you. If, sure. Uh, like we talked to our friend Robert Navarro. Or Christopher very, Alice, for that matter, an actual drummer. 
<laughs> yeah, but I was going to say, but, but somebody like Robert, when he does his productions and things, he is very much in, in hire the right musicians to kind of do it and elevate it and don't cut any corners. So well, he would that's be That's the very, concept difference between a professional and an amateur. Yeah, that's an argument that could be made, you know. But I could come down, I could play devil's advocate and say that- Do it. You know, there are a lot of producers and things that- can do it themselves. They can program and get that part just as good sure. as a live performer. Right now, it could also be a, a time constraint thing. Right, if you're up against a deadline and you don't want to spend a week programming drums, whereas you hire a guy and he can knock ten tracks out in a day. You know that type of thing. So, That's asking a lot, but I agree with you. Yeah, the, the, I just wanted to make an exaggerated point, right? <laughs> so <laughs> and exaggerated it was. However, it, to kind of riff off on that for a moment, I do agree with you in that sense is that hiring somebody that knows what they're doing and doing it, as you're saying, over the internet by going through whatever means and finding them on some sort of findadrummer.com type site, which is not real as far as I know. I was going to say, is that a real site? <laughs> <laughs> if it isn't, let's get it right now. The idea there is that you would hopefully have some sort of interaction with this drummer and be able to talk them through what you want. Oh, sure. That would be the hope. And I'm sure nobody's just going to do, okay, I'm going to play to this and you're going to get what you're going to get. I'm sure most people will ask you the questions. Of, well, what are you looking for? What kind of track is it? Do you have any ideas that you'd like me to do? That kind of thing. Oh, I'd think Fiverr would be like that. <laughs> I, I'm not even going to comment on that. But yes, probably. Yeah. But then again, you kind of get what you pay for, right? That's what they say. Oh, right. that brings up the whole concept of if you think a professional is expensive, try working with an amateur. Right. See what an amateur will cost you. Yeah. Yes. That's the thing as well, right? If you're hiring somebody to do it, you want to make sure that you get quality tracks back, not just in the way of performance, but sound-wise and all that. You mentioned Christopher Alice there earlier. Yeah. And we just see the lengths that he goes to to make sure that everything is like top-notch when he does this kind of stuff. But he does so, a great job. Absolutely. And that's what you want. Have you ever had a drummer that you've had access to tell you they couldn't do it? No, I don't think I have. I have. Whenever I've reached out, yeah? Yeah. No, I've, whenever, I guess I've been fortunate that way then. It was more the limitations of what they had for the recording setup based on what I wanted. Oh, okay. But I'm guessing you may have had some extraordinary needs at that point. Or, or My needs are always extraordinary. Was? What are you talking about? I rest my case. <laughs> do you remember what that was that they couldn't do? Yes. I was looking for the recording to be done at 9624 mm -hmm. with a certain amount of microphones and they didn't have enough inputs, nor could their system handle 9624. Oh, that's unfortunate. I'm guessing this goes back a bit though, right? No, actually, this was within the past year. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow, that's a little surprising. I thought so too. To me. I thought so too. Yeah. Now, another thing to consider here is if we don't want to go the outsourcing the jobs out type of thing sure. where we have a remote drummer do it is if we don't have access to a space mm -hmm. to to track drums in a good way right and you could argue yeah just set the drums up anywhere and do it which but, i've done yeah oh yeah absolutely and you can do it but is it always the most appropriate thing or is that 
compromising of the sound that you want down the line for your track. I don't know. It's program you, dependent. It sure is. It's not like you can't get quality sounds from a less than ideal room, right? Mm-hmm. If you just think about miking and stuff, but if the only room that you have is right next door to the kindergarten, you know, <laughs> when there's going to be a lot of noise and stuff, then that's a problem, right? Are you speaking from experience? I am not, but that sounds like a nightmare scenario. Or if you get traffic bleed from different places and blah, blah. There's all those things where you just don't have the option to do it, right? My favorite one along these lines mm-hmm. involves a studio owner and engineer who in the middle of tracking, suddenly I'm hearing (laughs) coming out of the master speakers. That's a problem. Oh yeah. So I turn to the guy and I'm like, is this going down on the recordings? Oh no, 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 not at all. Are you sure? Yes, I'm positive. It's something to do in the master bus. It's only after the record chain, blah, 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 blah. I've tried to get my guy in here to fix my board multiple times. He can't seem to figure it out. I said, do you know what it is? And he goes, no. Do you want to know what it is? (laughs) (laughs) And I said, it's a capacitor blowing. And he goes, how do you know that? I said, experience of capacitors blowing. That's what that's what they sound like. Exactly. (laughs) And the guy was flummoxed. He's like, I don't believe it. I get those tracks back to my studio. Mm-hmm. Sure enough, that fucking sound was in there. Of course it was. Not yeah. very loud, but it was definitely in there. I called the guy back and said, you cannot tell people that that sound is not in their recordings. He goes, what do you mean? I said, it's in there. He's like, are you yeah. serious? And I said, yes, I'm serious. Wow. He was yeah, like, that's... yeah. Yeah, that would be that could be a problem. That could blow your budget right there when a guy is lying to you about his own gear in his studio that is supposed yeah. to be a professional studio. So that's a problem, right? Now it doesn't necessarily have to be necessarily a lie because that, that would assume that he knew that it was going to be in there, right? But, but no, but he didn't know, and that's actually even more problematic. If I'm thinking in terms of like the scene from the movie with J.K., he plays the jazz teacher, and Miles Teller plays the drummer. And right. his, his first day in this high level jazz band and the teacher is like, do you know that you're out of tune? And the kid's like, no. <laughs> He's like, get out of here. You're out of here. And then the guy's like, it wasn't him. It was you. And the fact that he didn't know he shouldn't be here anyway. It's reality. It's like you call yourself a professional. You should know your gear. And we've actually done episodes on that of knowing your gear. So when it we comes have, to yeah. recording drums and all that. Make sure if you're going to a place and you're not the actual owner of the studio that they know what they're doing. Yeah. Otherwise, you're wasting money. That's the kind of the point of the whole amateur right. professional thing. And if you go on the route where you set up in your own space, where you have that's not necessarily designed for or tracking drums, but or tracking anything possibly. Tracking drums, I know we mentioned this on more than one occasion, but because there are so many movable parts, if you will, like there's, you know, a multitude of mics and you have to deal with phase and all those things. While it being a very, very educational process, it is also one that can be prone to mistakes. Right? Lots of them. Right. If you're on a time crunch to get this done, maybe outsourcing is a good alternative for that. But it is also very 
educational experience doing it. I remember the first time I tracked live drums. It's like, okay, let's figure out how this goes and, and see how we get the best results type of thing. One of those things also where there's not necessarily one way to do it, mm-hmm. right? There, You know, how you, you point the microphones and all this kind of stuff. So just to yeah. bust in, because it sounds like you're about to ramble and we keep this slightly focused. Okay. <laughs> Is there a drum engineer that you would have as your go-to drum engineer for this kind of thing? Ooh, that's a good question. No, there's nobody that I have sort of in mind. Um, myself? No. <laughs> but uh, no, not necessarily. I mean, it depends, again, on the kind of stuff that we would be doing. But I've always liked Bob Rock, the, mm-hmm. the way he, he his sound he kind of gets on, on, you know, you think about the, like Metallica's Black Album, although that's a little bit dated now, but sure. huge kind of drum. So, no, I don't have necessarily one particular person that I would do. I guess the only person I would want is somebody that knew what they were doing, mm-hmm. you know, and that I could pester with questions and learn more about it. You know, there you go. All right. what about yourself? Uh, Ronan Chris Murphy would be my choice. I am unfamiliar with it, this person. He's a pretty top-notch uh, drum engineer, and he's really yeah. good. I mean, he's an engineer in general, but he is kind of specializes in drums, and he does a really amazing job. Yeah? Any yeah. productions that I would know about that he's done? You know, I can't think of one off the top of my head. I just know That's him how famous a, he is, right? yeah, Well, no, but I know him as a friend, and I know that that's like gotcha. he gets hired a lot for that particular right. kind okay. of stuff. So okay. while I don't follow his career in that regard just because he's just a friend, he's done those kind of like masterclass workshops that people go to, and he's gotcha. one yeah. of the guys that like teaches that kind of stuff, so he's right. very good at what he does. Yeah. So No, if I had to throw out a name, I, would, I wouldn't mind working with Adam. You know, Adam Mosley, I know he's... Okay, well, there you go. Just, yeah. I guess, there you go, yeah. That's my thoughts on, on, on a live drummer. A lot of movable parts, but you can inject a lot of stuff in there. Anything you want to add to that? No. Let's move on here to the programmed parts kind. Right. Here's something that I enjoy doing. Okay. I enjoy programming drums. I like doing it. I like to think that I'm relatively good at it. The reason I'm good at it is because I have done it for years and years and years and years. Not because you're an actual drummer? I am certainly not an actual drummer. I am. I can look like I know what I'm doing, but I am horrible <laughs> behind a kit. Right? I can air drum with the best of them, but no. The reason why I like it is because I can get down my ideas quickly if I have a thought for a part this is how i want it the sound because of the the software that i use is going to be top notch Mm -hmm. and it gets me in the ballpark right away even when i'm just riding but then i always go and fine tune but that that's not what we're talking about here sure so Uh, let's take a trip down memory lane for you here yeah when you first started programming drum parts were they actually realistic to how drummers would actually drum or did you just go off that it didn't matter how many drummers it took to pull off I did not do that. I actually had that sort of idea right off the bat. Now, if that was just circumstance or the limitations of the gear, because I'm going to take you back really far back. We're going to go back before color. This was black and white, right? The DDR-16 <laughs> or the Dr. 16 or whatever it was. No, no, it's not going to be that bad. Oh, the but- SR-16 by Alesis. 
Oh, no. Oh, good heavens, no. No, I'm not going to have that. <laughs> um, no, not drum machine. When I first started, my first venture into this was when I had the Atari ST in yep. running Cubase. And samples were coming from the, ooh, what was that? The Ensonic, what was it called? The ESP16, something like that. It was one of the old samplers, initial samplers. But programming things in Cubase at that time, we didn't have the same level of control that we do now, of course, but we sure. did have four different, I think it was four different velocity levels that you could do that with, mm -hmm. with each hit, right? So you got some sense of realism, but it really got me thinking about the whole idea of, okay, well, what's the kick and snare padding doing? And can the drummer physically play this? So I was playing with those like velocities early on. Gotcha. But then that evolved from there, right? Because the gear got better and all that. And I can't remember what came after that. I think it was probably battery from Native Instrument mm -hmm. as the source. Okay. I think it was that. And Logic had the EXS sampler at that point with all these different kits and yep. libraries from that. So that's where it got. And now I'm, I'm, I've been a tune track guy forever. Started with their original samples, actually for the EXS. There you go. They had. It was like the drum kit from hell that you imported. Yeah. And now you have the multiple velocity levels there, multi-sampled, all this kind of stuff. So that was it. And then it became modern and easy drummer and then superior drummer two. And, and as of recording this, three. Gotcha. So... What was the question again? I just rambled <laughs> on it. But that was the journey, right? And because this was a part of my journey and I was always doing it for my own projects, I ended up getting decent at it. And today I've, I've done it for other people as well. I've had players come in and guess they don't want a live drummer. And I've done drum programming for other artists when they just want it. So... I enjoy doing it I because it's that instant gratification. I do love working with live drummers and recording drums and things, but there are things that annoy the shit out of me you know, <laughs> when you have to do some editing and I am very sensitive to timing issues. I'm not talking feel issues where I'm doing kind of like air quote feel issues here, but mm -hmm. when things are just out of time, I notice that really, really quickly. It really, really annoys me. There tends to be a fair bit of cleanup that I have to do these days when I work with live drummers. Gotcha. Yeah, what about you though? What, what's your deal, man, when it comes to uh, <laughs> programming stuff? My early drum programming was horrendous. Yeah. I knew that drummers had four limbs. So four things can happen at the same so time. So four things could happen at the same time. Realistically or not, that's what I did. The irony of this is, is us... I originally wanted to learn to be a drummer. I didn't want to be a guitar player. I wanted to be a drummer, but of course. I don't think I knew that about you. Yeah, parents okay. were like, nope, that'll be too loud. Can't do that. So I'm like, all right, get a guitar and an amp and then crank that sucker up and piss them off. Right. <laughs> yeah. But when it came time to start writing songs and doing things with songwriting, I did what you did. I did drum programming for my own thing initially. Yeah. As it was easy in terms of having the four track that I had and the computer and the software that I had and a drum machine that I could then play back in stereo as things were playing back when it was all tied to Simpty back in the day. Yeah. So I would program these drum parts that 
sounded relatively, in my mind anyway, cool. <laughs> sure. Yeah. And when I was living with the infamous singer Jeff Scott Soto, he heard some of the stuff and he's like, you know, a drummer can't play that <laughs> kind of stuff. And I'm like, uh, so I had to rethink and I started yeah. being very aware and very acutely aware of that kind of thing. So my programming changed up to the point where I can take it or leave it. I like to actually work with live drummers. It makes things a lot easier, especially if you've got a guy like Christopher Alice or Donnie Grundler or Matt Gendel or any slew of other drummers that I've worked with in the past, including guys like Greg Bissonette. Programming a drum, at least for the songwriting portion of it, can get you in the relative ballpark of what you yeah. want so that you can present it to a drummer and say, I want to go in this direction. And it gives them a good idea of what you want. You've done your drum programming, and if you're pretty good at it, you can stick with the drum programming that you did. And that happened on one particular song that I did a few years ago, where in the studio, we're tracking the vocals as the last thing to be tracked on this particular song. And the engineer is like, who played the drums on this? Question comes up as to why. Yeah. This is like the most amazing fill I've ever heard. And it's so subtle that you don't notice that there is a time change going on right there in terms of the length of the bar. And I look at the co-writer who recorded the track with me, and then I tell the engineer, I was like, well, I programmed those drums. And he's like, are you shitting me? <laughs> I'm like, no, we're not shitting you. This is the version of that particular section of the song that we decided felt best. And up to that point, he didn't even question whether or not it was a real drummer or not. And I've actually had that question asked of me on multiple projects of whether something is a real drummer or not a real drummer. And it's a good question to be asked, especially if it's in regards to your programming. You get better at it over time, especially if you're not particularly a drummer. And I'm sure there are drummers that can program the living bejesus out of samples and make it sound like a real performance. And there's probably drummers that can't do it. Sure. Yeah. Being a drummer doesn't I necessarily mean that you can be a good drum programmer. And being a good drum no, programmer it, doesn't necessarily mean you'd be a good drummer. Oh, I can attest to that because I'm a horrible drummer. <laughs> so, yeah. But it is another thing that we're talking about program parts. So that, that's a big benefit today. And, and a lot of the software comes or a lot of these softwares that they're mentioning, like the Superior and, and all those kind of things, they often come with MIDI parts played by an actual drummer. Right. But before so we get, get into that, let's actually yeah. take a quick word from our sponsors. And we're back. We're going to talk a little bit about the differences here between the real performance of a drummer and an unrealistic programming, which we've kind of already been hinting at. Stick into this, Chris. Yeah, the part I needed to get off my chest there first, when you get a lot of these like MIDI performances that, that are played by actual drummers, those can be not only great launching off points, when you're programming stuff, because it, it, it gets you an idea. And it's like, oh, I, I never thought about doing that with a hi-hat and the alternating on the right or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So that's a valid way that you can have as a starting point, but then perhaps tweaking those a little bit. It can also be very educational when you look at those MIDI performances, how drummers essentially play yep. and how ghost notes and things play into it to have certain authenticity to them, right? As opposed to you mentioned 
the SR-16 before, where it's basically do do da do 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 da like pattern number one, <laughs> like rock beat, whatever. Right. And that's why those things sound the way they do. It's not just a sample thing, but it is velocity levels and all this kind of stuff. Uh -huh. But that is the programming thing. So while those are all good, the biggest thing for me is with a drummer being recorded is that not only the feel that they can impart because they, they add all of these things by nature, mm -hmm. right? Things that the ghost notes and all this kind of stuff, but it is their ability to come up with parts that often are going to be a lot better than mine would be because I might, oh, I would have never thought about doing a tom fill over the, the verse or whatever, right? You know, so they, they can bring something to that, assuming that you don't have that laser focus that this is the part I want. And if you have that, you know, I'm sure they'll be happy to oblige. But sometimes it's nice to open up the floor to them too and say, well, what do you think of this? What, what do you kind of hear? And they can bring another dimension to that. So I think that's, that's a big one sure. for me, what, why you would do it. Mm -hmm. There will be a different sound. If you're recording an actual drum part, that's going to be that's drums. That's live drums. That's what live drums sound like. Yeah, they're not you know? done in isolation, generally speaking. Well, generally they can speaking, be. They can be, right. but generally yeah. they're not always done that way. My preference is always to do that, though. Are you talking about recording drums with, you know, a, a bass and a guitar player present? No, I'm talking about all the drums being recorded at once. Oh, Sure. So, yeah, that was something that Chris Alice mentioned as well, that he had yeah. an experience when they went in and they actually recorded because of recording limitations, one kit piece at a time. Yeah, it can and happen. I, and you still have to somehow transfer that feel into the performance, which can be difficult. On the flip side of this of working with, and you mentioned bringing in a part that's programmed that you want the drummer to do, yes. or at least to give them into that mindset, like this is the kind of part that, I'm looking at. Mm -hmm. Have you ever had the experience of where there's a drummer that don't want anything put in your head? They just want to come in with a clear space and see what they come up with. And then if it doesn't turn out better, they go, okay, now let's hear what you had in mind. Yes. Johnny yeah. Grindler I did that with, and it was on a particular song called Days of Our Lives. Okay. And we were tracking that. The bridge portion was not working. Okay. And I had an idea of what I wanted <laughs> and I had to explain it to him because it wasn't really programmed out. Well, actually it was programmed out, but it was not programmed out extremely well at that point. And in explaining it to him and what exactly I wanted, he's like, go away for 15 minutes. So I did. I went and made some tea, came back to the studio. 15 minutes later, boom, knocks it out in like two takes. The trouble was, is the way the sticking pattern happens in that portion mm -hmm. of the song was extremely difficult. And he had to sit there and work it out for 15 minutes so that he could actually pull it off as a human. That's awesome though. But he did it. Yeah. And it's really amazing. And the funny thing about that is, is that I had other drummers that took Donnie's classes that when okay. they met me, they were like, dude, our drum teacher used to use this song that was your song. <laughs> In his classes <laughs> at MI. So he was using that song as an example of how to do certain things in the studio, which I thought was really flattering. That is pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. It was, like, it was a 
fun experience to have, you know, just random drummers come up to me in LA. I was like, dude, I know this song and that you wrote it and that Donnie played on it and how it happened. I'm like, wow, that's kind of cool. Yeah, that, no, that's cool. Assuming it's not the other way around. Yeah, when you're programming drums, don't do this. Don't do this, right? No. <laughs> Wasn't that. But yeah. If you see Jody Whitehead, punch him in the face. <laughs> uh, give him a throat punch. <laughs> right, yeah. Now, obviously, we talked about the sound there, how you get a, a natural sound. And again, obviously, style dependent here, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the jazz track would be much more of a natural feel. And I would think that programming more of a jazzy performance would be very difficult. And I would say the same thing when you're going for like a soul thing, you know, because there's so much dynamics that go into that kind of stuff. So having the sound of a live drummer is imperative in those cases. Sure. That, however, doesn't mean that we don't enhance or replace certain things if need to be in post, right? Once you have that live performance, and when you're saying replace, you're referring to the sonic value, not the actual played value. Yes. So, I mean, if we have a tremendous performance, really love the feel and everything, but the snare sound is wrong mm -hmm. for the track come mix time, you would go in, and this is something that most DAWs can do, but there are specialized software that, that does this too, where they detect the transients and extract the MIDI information from the performance. Yep. Right. More often than not, I, I would enhance, but not replace. But if you have to, you can just take out the snare, mm -hmm. the, the direct snare, the top and bottom, and replace that with samples. Sure. So that it would fit better. Now, if you listen to that just by itself, that might sound really unnatural because you're presumably going to have the snare in the overheads and, and some leakage and stuff. But because you're taking the performance out, you can just replace or enhance that to get the sound that you want. And the same thing with virtually any kit piece, whether that's the kick or any of the toms as well. Right? Mm -hmm. so logic does the, that. Yeah, Logic does that Pro Tools fairly does that. well, actually. Yeah, I think just about anything does that. But there are- Pretty much know, any dog has the yeah. replace drums or- enhanced drums kind of setup to it that you can just hit a button it will analyze it figures out where all the transients are you tell it which drum is on what track and then it will replace that with whatever samples you choose to use and a cool thing with the way logic does that and i'm not sure if other DAWs do this the same way but when logic does it it extracts the velocity as well mm -hmm. so, so if it's if it's a loud snare hit for example it's going to have a higher velocity value than if it's a softer one so it even detects the the dynamics of the performance which is yep. imperative you know mm -hmm. what's your favorite so, drum software once you've got this performance well i've said it about eight times already i think <laughs> <laughs> but uh superior drummer three right it is what i use now the level of detail and stuff that's in there I'm only really scratching the surface of what it can actually do. I, it doesn't fit my workflow for everything that it can do, mm -hmm. but the sounds and the dynamics and everything is, that's by far my favorite. Okay. What about you? What do, what do you like? I got two that I use more often than not. The one that I use the most is Logic Drummer. Mm -hmm. And the main reason why is, is it comes with a pretty good range of drum playing, so to speak, that's already in there. Plus you can modify the bejesus out of it with it rushing or dragging behind the beat, how much swing it's got to it, that kind of thing. In addition to that, the other one that I tend to use a lot is drum libraries that come from native instruments. And one in particular that I've used quite a bit is the Abbey Road drums. Cool. They just sound 
really, really good. Now they're not super extravagant with the amount of mics and all that that you get with Superior Drummer 3, but they still sound really good and they sound quite natural <laughs> when they're hit. And they have such a velocity range that you can tell that there's a difference in the hits, which is great too. Yeah. So those are mine. And, and all those libraries obviously have the round robin triggering as well. So you don't get the sort of machine gun effect, even mm -hmm. if you have the same velocity level on hits. So yeah, it's all great stuff. All great stuff. With that, let's move on to our Friday finds. Let's do this. You're up, Chris. I have been, I'm up. You're up. Cool. Well, I don't have necessarily a particular piece of gear or piece of music this week, but I have a particular technique mm. that I've been messing around with this week. And when I pose the question to you and you're thinking of convolution and IRs, yep. what do you think about? Probably reverbs and things, oh, right? Well, Spaces. Yeah. yeah, convolution reverbs and also, of course, guitar amps and uh, cabinets with microphones. Right. Yeah. So that's what most of us tend to think about. But I have been messing around in Space Designer. There are whole other classes of IRs that are in there. And they're more for tonal qualities and just experimental like sound design things. Mm-hmm. And just goofing around with that has been really, really interesting because this is an avenue that I hadn't really pursued, right? I was thinking the same thing. You know, you got IRs, it's a reverb, it's, it's a guitar cab. Like 99.999% of users presumably using it for. Mm -hmm. But the idea of using convolution as a sound design tool has been really, really inspiring to me. So what I think I'm going to do is I'm going to start a new library of just sound design stuff, which is something that I wanted to do for a while, but I'm going to actually take the time and do it. So just using convolution for sound design is my kind of Friday find, okay. I guess. All right. So with that long drawn out answer to a quick question, what is yours? <laughs> I found a little application. This is specifically for those of us who use the Apollo recording interfaces. Mm -hmm. And more even specific than that, Mac Apollo users. Sorry, Windows guys. There's a little app that has been created called UA Companion. And you can find this at uacompanion.com. And what it is is a little extension app that goes, when you run it, up into your menu bar on the right-hand side and allows you to set function keys to control the Apollo from your keyboard. That's really cool. It is extremely cool. And it allows you to now use the Apollo with the up and down volume keys or the mute key. And then you can set other things to have like, well, I always know that I want it at this particular sound level for this and this particular sound level for that. And you can have a function key that sets it to that specific volume level and you can switch between the two. You can also mute the entire device and you can do several other functions. So UA Companion for Mac users and the Apollo interface users is my Friday find of this week. Go get very it. Very cool. It's very, very like handy. It. While we've got your attention, we ask that you go to insidetherecordingstudio.com and sign up for our mailing list. You'll get weekly reminders about the Tuesday tips when they come out, and we'll make sure you don't miss any future episodes of the podcast. 
send us an email at goldstar, G-O-L-D-S-T-A-R, at insidetherecordingstudio.com with the word drumming, and you'll get something cool back in your inbox. If you have a topic of suggestion for Chris and I to explain in a future episode, contact us at the contact page and we'll put it into consideration for a future episode. And with that, I'll say, see you next week. I'll talk to you later, Jody. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye.